How you doing, Alex? Stacy, what's up, my friend? Good to see you. It must be Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it is Wednesday, which means another podcast. All right, what episode? Ah, this is going to be episode five. Heck episode yeah. five. Sweet. Well, I know there's been a lot going on in on my side of things. Mm. I got meetings that I've been attending. I just recently came from a meeting um, last night. Um, with a, a company that I, I just basically got onboarded to. Um, just came from an interview not too long ago. Yeah, you seem really excited. Yeah, the, the interview, not so excited about the... That was a joke. I was being serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For those of you that can't see your facial expression. Yeah, that, uh, that interview, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't think you're much of a job person, Stacy. to be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that might be the... Uh, What's, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the king in me? And you're not a very good pretender either, so I don't see you going into the interview with a big smile. Like, I can't wait to do this medial, menial yeah. task every day for the next, you know, whatever. years. Like, you're not, that's not, that doesn't seem like you, so I'm not surprised. No, but what about you, man? I know you've got the poetry class that you go to very often. Yep, that just ended, so we're done. Okay, so mm -hmm. tell me about that a little bit. I didn't actually get a chance to uh, yes, talk to you about uh, that. Somebody, uh, um, I think it was, uh, was it Wicked Branding or Witchcraft Branding? Yes, Witchcraft Branding. Enid and uh, my friend Ryan, who goes by Coyote Blood on, um, on, uh, on the Instagrams. And uh, yeah, we just met a few of us at a coffee shop every week and worked on some poetry, read, and... Um, did some fun exercises, so shout out to uh, Coyote Blood and Enid from Witchcraft Branding. And yeah, I'm just working on my stuff, um, typing on my Smith Corona typewriter and uh, working on some um, some more content for my blog. Nice, nice. Yeah. So what are we getting into today, man? Well, last episode, we ended by previewing what we were going to do. And not like we always have to... like follow through but i happen to have the book here that you actually it's called um king warrior magician lover and ironically or whatever someone told me about it and i asked you if you'd read it and you're like boom check out my tattoo <laughs> yeah yeah um i am a a very strong believer in this book man um in terms of how how useful it is for young men specifically, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think that it in our society today we don't we don't talk about manhood enough, for sure. Like real manhood and what real masculinity looks like and all mm -hmm. that good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but how would you happen upon the book? Well, well, first of all, where's your tattoo? So tell so, the audience and how to give, give us a story about how you put right. a tattoo on your body that has the title of this book, essentially. Okay, so one of the things that my my father was really really big on was. And by the way, you've got a lot of tattoos. I just want to say, like, I don't, well, I don't have any as I like. Right, but like <laughs> you know, you're, you're pretty tatted. Yeah, up there. I got I got one on the left hand, and I got a, a full sleeve on the right arm. Mm -hmm. Um. Plenty of plans for way more. You know, I, I love the thought of being a canvas for somebody else and being able to convey, you know, it's like a collaboration of my message and what I, I love and somebody's interpretation of that message. Yeah. So I kind of like that. Um, part of the reason why I love tattoos so much. Yeah, I see like all kinds of stuff, flowers. Yeah. And I remember you, uh, I, I was much mentioning, mentioning the psychological 
Ouroboros. And yes. then you're like, oh, here it is. Yep. And I'm like, oh, here's this book. Oh, here it is. So yep. like, I don't know what other surprises, tattoos we, you've got, but. Well, the my right arm was essentially an ode to all the women in my life. Now, prior to that, right, with backtracking, my old man was very, very big proponent of, hey, the women in your life, you must respect, you must understand that a woman is very, very, very different from a man and doesn't make them less than or better than. They're just different and different is okay. In that space, in that understanding, you have to understand what your role is and how you should view yourself. Um, and, you know, as I've grown, I've taken bits and pieces of that. But the basic you know, concept of the tattoo was to be a reminder of being a protector, being a, a, a rock or a shield to the women in my life. Um, and started all with the uh, inso circle. And if anybody knows anything about Japanese like culture at all, um, there's a, a practice of calligraphy where you try and draw a circle. And if you can draw a circle in one stroke, you somehow reach nirvana. You've reached zen, peace, right? Um, and I, I put it up at the top above all the roses and the shield and everything else to kind of be a starting point for that, of understanding if I am ever to be a shield for anybody, I must first be able to find peace within myself. I must first be mm -hmm. able to shield myself from the world in a, in a sense. Oh, that's cool. Um, and that, tied in, that ties into, you know, being a warrior. That ties into being a king. Um, sometimes you need a shield as a warrior. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need a sword. Um, and understanding that the sword is not always greater than the scepter. Hmm. Well, to answer your question, um, how did I find out about this book? Um, I think I just came, you know, like everything for me, like just came up in, in different different places. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, okay, like I've heard this book's title enough. Like, let me go grab the book and, you know, check it out. So, um, but that, that, like I said, that happens to me a lot. And, and I think also I've got a psychology background and a love of psychology. So this book deals, of course, with archetypes. And I think um, Jung, Carl Jung is on the back um, oh, yeah. where someone talks about him. The best-selling, widely heralded Jungian introduction to the psychological foundations of a mature, authentic, and revitalized masculinity. So I've been interested in like what is sort of real masculine for a while. Like I was typing up yesterday something, um, which maybe we'll get into when um, I talk about sort of my thing, but it's called um, uh, like my brother's bitch. Um, and we'll get into that um, maybe, but um, it reminded me of like in that typing, I wrote, what is, what is a man? like a few times is sort of like coming back to like, okay, so what is a man? Like, what is my friend who said that I was being my brother's bitch? And what is um, a man to me? What is a man to society? And so I think one of the things I like about this book is it looks at that immature versus mature manhood and masculinity. And it, um, it, it uh, compares the two. And also I think shows how we're living in such an immature masculinity that it's easy not to see it because mm. that's the water you, you, you're swimming in. So mm. that's interesting. That's the water you're swimming in. I like that. I like that a lot, actually. Yeah. Fish like fish don't know they're swimming in water because the water's all the water's all they, they know, know. Oh. you know, until maybe they like all of a sudden one day, like maybe like fly up through 
break the surface of, you know, break the surface. Then they're like, whoa, what's this? And then they come back down to the water and like, oh yeah. Then it's like they understand water. And I'm saying this probably isn't true, yeah, but yeah, quote unquote, you. air quotes, they understand water because they've had an experience of not water. That's a good metaphor though. Yeah. That is a really good metaphor for her, for for understanding masculinity and how it is sort of thrusted upon people. Um to that point, right? Yeah. To the to the point of like thrusting upon of things. Um one of the things that I I I'm very a very big believer in now. Not so I wasn't always like this, but <clears throat> now I'm very much you do you man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no judgment of what you do, but don't project any of your crap on me. I won't project any of my crap on you. Like whatever you're doing is what you're doing, whatever I'm doing is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um but it's interesting to think about sort of the roles of you know masculinity, femininity, the roles of what it is to be a man in our society, especially in Western culture, um, how it's just water to us. It's just something that we 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 know it, but we don't really know it. We don't we we just take it for what it is, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, I just want to say, like, our last episode was about supervillains, and uh, I think from that topic, we ended up coming sort of full circle to this one. And so if you haven't checked out episode four of our podcast, that would be a good one because I think that was a, a really fun episode on supervillainry. And we each, um, talked about our, our favorite supervillains and why and then how we sort of embodied them and, and the shadow work as well. And I think, you know, that falls into this topic because we're talking about and we talked about last time is like, what does it mean to be integrated? So integrating your different sides and your different proclivities, your different passions and, you know, the the dark side of your personality, but like versus repressing it. So Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that, you know, a mature man, a mature person that's working through these archetypes of king, warrior, magician, lover is a person that's integrated and they're actively working on integrating the different aspects of themselves. That's a very good point. Um, kind of piggybacking off of that, the I think this I think this is actually a, a perfect segue mm-hmm. because we we talked about you know on that high minded level, um, you know superheroes and supervillains. Like in order to understand the supervillain or to understand the superhero, you must understand its opposite. Um, and one of the things I absolutely love about this book is the fact that. It takes you from the archetypes of boyhood first Mm. and tells you, hey, like it gives you an idea of what those archetypes look like. And funnily enough, one of the archetypes for boyhood is the hero. Mm. And one of the reasons why I think that's so like profound is the hero in as they kind of break it down in the book, paraphrasing and kind of just, you know, using my own words to explain this here. um, The hero knows no limits. They believe they are invincible. The hero is the direct archetype um, that will eventually become the warrior, the true warrior. Um, the hero believes that he has no limits. A warrior understands that he does. Mm-hmm. The warrior understands, you You always get on me for <laughs> my, my stoic quotes, but I absolutely love stoicism because one of the best quotes they have, and you guys are probably going to hear me say this over and over again, 
is you are a man and you too will surely die. A warrior understands his death. He understands his mortality. A hero does not. A hero will, will run headlong into danger with no understanding of the danger, no understanding of how he can be harmed. That's kind of like uh, it's kind of like when Lex Luthor, you know, messes with Superman and you know traps him into in a room filled with kryptonite. He just runs into the danger. He runs in to save somebody. And we play that up. We want to be the heroes in our lives. But a warrior is completely different. Okay. I was about to from say a hero. Okay, good. Thank you. Because I was about to be like, what? <laughs> like, I'm not running into a burning building that's where that's my um sure death. Like that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And that's the that's the the distinction. The distinction there. Mm-hmm. Like the boy archetype is the hero. The boy, I see, will run headlong because he believes like he's invincible. Yes, yeah, really, really unrealistic. Mm-hmm. So I love this book because it, I I found personally that it tied into so much of the you know societal norms that we kind of play up. You know, the Supermans, the Batmans, etc. That's interesting. Um, yeah, you just remind me of something. Um, of course, we're this is going to be one long tangent if I know. So <laughs> we have a starting point, but we may not ever, you know, we will wrap around, I think, eventually, but we're going to take a very non-circuitous route. Oh, to yeah, secret. group. So, um, but no, I was just thinking of, um, like, asking you, so what is, you know, to, to start off with a very, like, you know, easy entry into this what is a what is it what is a man stacy to you oh, what is man what is a man and how does that maybe differ from what is a woman because i heard you say that your father said you know hey a man and a woman are very different mm-hmm. and i don't know that i agree with that on okay. some level mm-hmm. i think and but i want to hear from you first but that's why i'm i'm curious and also with what is a man another question how is being a man different than masculinity Ooh, that's a really good question. I haven't thought about that one. So I'll, I'll have to masticate on that one a little bit. But for me, when I think about manhood, and it's funny that you asked me this now at the age of like 26, because I'm probably going to have a different definition, you know, 20 years from now. But I remember my my, my father, again, I, I accredit my, my father to a lot of, you know, the foundational blocks of who I am. Um, however, I think that's most people, right? Uh, if you, if you had your father in your life in some way, shape or form, he kind of molds you in a sometimes positive way, sometimes negative way. And one of the things that he had me do when I was like 11, 12 years old was literally go to the men in my life and say, okay, what is a man? And literally just ask, you know, these gentlemen, you know, I had our, our preacher, at the church that I asked this. I had, you know, family friends that I asked this question. And I remember one day sitting at like our one of the family friends' house, there was like six or seven older guys there. And I asked one of them, and he goes, wait, 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 stop. Mind you, we're like in the middle of watching a football game. And he's like, wait, 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 what'd you ask me? He paused, he like, this is when DVR had just came out. He like pauses the television and goes, wait, no, no, no. Ask your question again. 
And I'm sitting there and I asked the question again and all the men in the room <laughs> turn and look at me like, oh. And it was super like important. That moment sticks out to me so vividly in my life yeah. because that was the beginning of me understanding there isn't a direct definition that I can give. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, going back to like my own personal definition, standing behind what you believe in, whether that means you're going to die behind it or not, does not matter. You said this is what you stand for, stand for it. And how very, how very stoic of you. In a way, I, I, I would say in a way it is very stoic because on one hand, like there's two extremes of this for me. On one hand is being flexible enough to understand that I don't know everything and I'm still in a place where I need to learn, but also understanding, yo, like, no, if I say I'm going to do this, I need to do this. Like, and nobody can, can put those stipulations on me. Nobody can, can, can change that. Um, and I think the, the main difference between like my definition of manhood versus my definition of womanhood or femininity and masculinity, which and I do believe there's a difference between being a man and masculinity and being a woman and femininity. I do believe that those are very distinct things um, in regards to the difference between men and women. I think it has a lot to do with understanding, like not just bodily, but mentally and emotionally that you may not have the capacities to do certain things. For example, um, in my mind, right, in my definition, a man must be tempered. And what I mean by tempered, he must be measured. He must, you can't be, you can be full with your emotion. You can be full, you can be a, a person who feels and, and, and is sensitive and has a bleeding heart for the world, but your, your action must be decisive. You can't allow the emotion to outweigh the decisive action. And I believe that for me personally, that is a very, very clear moniker of manhood. Whereas for women, decisive action isn't necessarily needed. It is more so the nurturing and the understanding Mitigating and extenuating circumstances is the best way I can put it. There's a, I had this great conversation with a gentleman recently um, where we talked about justice. And I was like, well, what about mitigating and extenuating circumstances? Don't, don't you believe those types of things are necessary to prove whether or not somebody's innocent or, or not? That to me is a woman, is, is a, a feminine or womanly um, attribute. And it's not to say it's bad. It's not to say it's um, it is in somehow way, shape, or form a negative. But being able to step out of and kind of zoom out, I believe, is very, very much something that women are more tuned to 
and femininity is more attuned to than men are. Okay, well, but I'm going to challenge you then because give me give me an example of a trait, a characteristic that is exclusively masculine and one that is exclusively feminine. Okay, so going back to that that idea of zooming out, right? Um, to that point of the conversation I had with this gentleman, uh, bless you, Max, was this was his statement. I have a job to do. My job isn't to care about whether or not they were hurt in their past and it led them to this point. My job isn't to care about whether or not they they have a, a dying grandmother who's I have a job to do. And that job is to prove whether or not they did the crime. That to me is a very, very, very masculine thing. I'm confused. I'm confused. What do you mean by? Pr- I don't know where the crime thing came in. What are so you, what are you the about? conversation that he and I had was about justice. Was about okay. Well, do you not believe he's a lawyer? I was like, do you not believe in extenuating and mitigating circumstances for crime? He's like, no, I don't. Eh, I do, but I don't. In the fact that if you committed a crime, if you kill someone. I don't care what, whether or not, if you rape someone, if you kill someone, I don't care whether or not there was some type of trauma in your past that led you to that point. I just care about the fact that you did the crime. That to me is a very much masculine thing. But, Whereas, but is it exclusively masculine? Because there are female judges. There are female judges. So but, what are you saying? Are you saying that they, you know, that's where I see, that's where I, I, I disagree with you because I think. I don't think you can come up with something that's exclusively masculine and exclusively feminine. I think that, I think ultimately, and this is where, um, I think, I mean, and we could disagree on this and, you know, of course it's fine because I feel like I, maybe more than you, I think you believe more in gender roles than I do. Oh yeah. And I think gender roles have a, a function, like they've, they've been in use for a long time because of practicality, but I think that practicality is changing rapidly. And so the world has been changing. For example, women are earning their own incomes. They don't need men for survival as much anymore. True. And so because of that, it's, it's, it's changing the whole dating scene too. Um, yeah. Because, and it's confu- it's a confusing time, but I think we're in a transition. And I think I think, you know, and this is what I think the trans movement is sort of about. And, and I don't want to say it's about, but I think part of the outcome of both um, uh, the, like, I hate the word homosexuality. <laughs> like, it's just such a formal term, but um, the gay, homosexual, the GLBTQ plus, um, LGBTQ plus movement, et cetera, I think is challenging norms when it comes to gender and gender roles, for example. So to the point of gender roles and practicality. And then we'll, we'll, let's, I want to hear you, but then like, I want to also like come back to our topic because mm-hmm. then like, I want to come back to the original question that we started with. So, yeah. Well, in, in regards to the, like the, the, like the differences for me, like for me, men, and when I say men, I'm talking masculinity. Mm-hmm. So let me, let me clarify that mask, the masculine trait, Right. Not the man trait. Right, and that's the a masculine. good distinction. I mean, let that's, me say that. The yeah. masculine trait okay. is decisive action. I don't care about extenuating or mitigating circumstances. The feminine trait 
is understanding and accepting that there is a bigger picture, right? Okay. So for me, the reason why I think that is that is something that is a very big distinction between these two, like femininity and masculinity is when I think about from the macro to the micro, if I'm just going, you know, all historical myth, right? The masculine God was the person who did things and just, they did, they did, they did. Kind of like how you and I talk about a lot, the difference between allowing things to happen and efforting things to happen. Mm -hmm. I believe that the masculine trait is decisive action, efforting, 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 do, force, 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 right? (laughs) Versus femininity is acquiescence. It's allowing, it's well, let be and allow and allow things. Well, I think it also works well with genitalia, right? If you think about it, like the penis is a penetrator. It's a yes. penetrating um, thing, object, whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas a woman's genitalia is a receiving thing more so. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean a woman can't fuck a man? Of course not. I think a woman can fuck a man and a man can sort of be fucked. Like what was, you know, was really fun is um, I once, uh, went, well, once I was in grad school for psychology and we had um, people from different countries that were studying in our program. And one woman was, uh, had a partner. She was a lesbian and she was from somewhere in Scandinavia. And she said in our language, I think it was Swedish. Um, she said that we don't say I fuck. Tim or we fuck. Um, it wasn't like, um, I'm like, I fucked. It was, I fucked with. Mm. And so it was very much more of a mutual. Yeah. 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 It wasn't like I, one object did something to you, another object. It was much more an interpenetration, which, so I think it's interesting how language kind of dictates how we view reality in a sense. Right. So I think, and, and my larger point there is, I mean, I think, I mean, it's going to be a question for you, but wouldn't you agree though, that each of us, whether we're a quote unquote man or quote unquote woman, meaning what's culturally considered man and woman today, um, has masculine and feminine within us? I do believe that is the case. Um, I believe that there are varying degrees of masculinity and femininity. I do believe that for practical purposes, it is necessary to lean to one side or the other. Why? Well, I mean, in your, in your, in I mean, your that's, life. that's, but T, I mean, wouldn't you agree there's some men that are more feminine than some women and some women that are more masculine than I some am men? I'm more feminine than my wife in a lot of ways. I will say that openly and clearly. Like, I am more feminine than my wife in a lot of different ways. Okay, so thank you. Like my case is closed. Like no. that that's not to say right. in in how I in, on the back end it's like yeah, I may be feminine here. But for me, that doesn't take away from my manhood or my right. masculinity. Well then well know? I mean this is like now we're getting like into a real deep deep conversation here because I think the problem in our culture is that most especially men but most of it, us have it that if you exhibit, if you're quote unquote a man and you dis- exhibit feminine qualities that in the eyes of others will take away from your manhood, as opposed to it's 
doesn't. It's like an integration. And that's where I want to go. Actually. Like I think it actually makes you more of a mature man. Exactly. That's than... where I was heading with that. Right. But before, but if we can, because I want to be able to also answer the question. <laughs> so so uh, I want to allow you to ask me the question. All right. So in regards to you, right? I know we, we've kind of already gone back and forth a little bit. Yep. But for you, what is manhood? Right. So, um, is there a difference between masculinity? Okay. And yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I think, yeah, again, I think me and you see things a little differently here. Um, and I think my views changed over time. I think, first of all, I, I believe that I am a, I, I sort of identify as a cis man, which as I understand it is someone, like I said, in another podcast who identifies with their genitalia. So like I, identify with my gender as man or male masculine that fits with my genitalia since I have a dick um, versus someone that may feel, even though they have a penis, they might feel like a woman. That's, that would be a trans, someone that's mm-hmm. trans. So um, I think that's important in the conversation in, in my estimation. For me, um, I honestly don't, I don't, um, I believe that man and woman are made up to be honest. Mm. I think the only truth is that some of us are born with one kind of genitalia. Most of us are born with one half. Another half of the side of the coin are born with the other. Some are born with both, right? Hermaphroditic um, people. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe in man or woman, to be honest. I I, I consider myself, there's a term I'm forgetting. Um, No, not exactly. There's another term, crap. Um, my friend Kevin would know. <laughs> Can I call a friend? Hey, Kevin, <laughs> you're on a podcast right now. Um, um, it's no, it's it's more like um, it doesn't really matter to me. Like, I, I guess I think what matters is I think, quote unquote, men. OK, I'm going to say people that are born with a dick, a penis, have usually more testosterone that's associated with okay. with with that. And whereas women have more estrogen. So I think chemicals do make a difference. So, but again, sometimes a woman might have more testosterone than a man and a man might have more estrogen. So I think the lines are a lot more blurred. What I will say is this, I think generally speaking, and just for the sake of conversation, every time I say man, just put air quotes around it and woman air quotes, because I'm not going to keep saying, well, you know, because I don't, I honestly don't necessarily believe in these terms, but I'm going to use them anyways because our culture uses them. Yeah, we okay? all, that's the only language. So we it's have. tough. Yeah. But I think it is, but but that's part of the problem that it's the only language that we have, which is why I think, and I think I said it last um, episode, cis is such an important distinction. And so, yeah, cis is very important because we need to know that it's just not one thing. There's not just people that are that are different from the norm. So, but like, I'm gonna put that aside. What I believe is that each of us has masculine, kind of like you were saying, maybe a a propensity for more, you know, leaning towards one side or the other, but we, Mm -hmm. we both have both in various degrees or varying degrees. To me, the deal is this. And I think like depth psychology supports me on this, but, um, there's, there's always the external and the internal. There's, you know, without, within. And so usually relationships, to get back to relationships, because that's part of what our podcast is about um, in the broad sense, we're in a, like you're in a relationship with your wife. Like whatever the sides are, like you end up 
in some ways incorporating certain aspects of her into you and she incorporates other aspects of you into her Mm -hmm. so that years down the road through your relationship, you become a more whole human being in my, in my viewpoint, because now you've got a greater repertoire of life because ultimately, and I'm going to come back to, um, Bruce Lee, which I quoted before. And he said something like he trains his body to be able to respond in any situation, the way his body naturally wants to respond. So if I take that metaphor and I put it into relationships and masculine and feminine, like sometimes you want to take decisive action, but sometimes the moment calls for you being a nurturer as a man. Mm-hmm. And sometimes as a woman, it's all about decisive action. And you should, as a woman or a man, be able to respond to a moment with what that moment is calling for. You should have everything in your repertoire. Mm. And so therefore, whatever you're quote unquote lacking in, whichever you're deficient in, not as a negative thing, but just like, let's just say that something's your higher, you've got more capacity for and some less. Well, we should all be looking at what we have less of and trying to just to um, evolve it or grow that area. And we do that often through relationships. What I don't think we should be doing is hardcore gender roles because to me what gender roles in the past – say I grew up in the in the 80s but I remember the, the TV shows from the 70s which would have also been some of the 60s. The most popular one when I was a little, little kid was um, the one with the Fonz, Happy Days. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, that shit is so genderized, so polar, so split in terms of gender roles. Like the Fonz was this dude – I think I mentioned this last episode but he was very masculine – showed no emotion, very like um, even keeled and very limited, very sad in a sense too. Like it's sad. Like if that's all you can do, if that, if, if, if you're so, um, tr- because gender roles can be a trap as well. And that's my big deal. I think that um, we shouldn't be trapped because of a gender role. You shouldn't be scared to exhibit nurturing as a man, like you were saying before, and have that, um, erode your sense of masculinity, but that's what's happening in our culture. Now it's changing, but that's what we're dealing with in our culture. Too many men feel like they can't express any kind of femininity because they'll be considered weak if they do. Well, and vice versa. Well, less vice versa, but anyway. Yeah, very much less vice versa. Very extremely, much. extremely less, less vice versa. That's part of the problem. Um, so, so did I answer the question? I don't you, know. <laughs> you, you did answer the question for me. Now, I, I do want to come back to the warrior, magician, yeah, lover, yeah. king. Um, Let's do. Part of the reason why I want to come back to that is because one of the things that I love about this book is. I'll use my understanding of like classical storytelling and in in myth, right? The warrior, the king is the man's man. The poet, quote unquote, the magician, mm-hmm. um, the writer, the actor, quote unquote, the lover, the yeah. Casanovas of the world, mm-hmm. the softer, more dandied men is in this book. Politicians. Yeah, yeah, politicians. Like, you have the feminine, Mm -hmm. the lover, the magician, and then you have the masculine, the warrior, the king. The integration that we're talking about Mm -hmm. is the integration of those things. Like, when I say I'm more feminine than my wife, I enjoy being the little spoon. Oh, Right? Like, 
there's something about yeah. being having my wife hold me that's yeah. comforting. Yeah. Like, and that's not to say that, you know, it's she doesn't like sleep on my chest and she doesn't like no. We go back and forth doing that. Right. Yeah. But it's a I know a lot of guys, yeah. like they go, nah, I'm I'm never the little spoon, bro. Right. Like, why? Yeah. Why why can't you be held? What's wrong yeah. with being held? Because sometimes that's all you need. And just for just because some people listening to this may like have already put you in a box. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I want to just point out that you were in the military. <laughs> yeah. All right. So like uh, that doesn't mean anything necessarily, but I'm just saying like you were in the military, and sometimes you like to be the little spoon. Like the fact is, some people might say, "Well, those two can never go together." Mm-hmm. But you know, mm-hmm. and and that's the thing, right? Like I think when I talk oh, about, can major- I just ask, does your wife like to be the big spoon sometimes? Yes. That's cool. <laughs> so she's not, and she's not. She, you're not emasculated in her eyes by sometimes wanting to be a little spoon. No. Right. It's not a big deal. No. Because, and I'm guessing it's because you show up as quote unquote a man in so many other areas. Like it doesn't take away because she doesn't have to, it's like, it's not a question mark in her mind. No, not even the slightest. And right. like, and, I, and even beyond that, it's like, well, I'm, I have going back to one of our very first conversations, one of our very first podcasts, yeah. you got to love me fully. Not solely. Yeah. You know, I am able to fully express the fact that I can be Little Spoon. Yeah, that's you know, cool. In the, I don't know that space. I could say that. <laughs> I mean, it, it's true. No, I could. But, I mean, it takes it, it takes a lot of – I don't know that a lot of men could actually say that and say that not just to a friend, a male friend even, but also publicly like you are right now. To our, I mean, to our twelve viewers, <laughs> listeners. You know, I'm, I'm – Twelve hundred. I'm very much a – Hey man, this is who I am. So yeah. what? Like you, you're not gonna change the fact that I like being the little spoon. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like it is what it is to me. Right. So because of that, because I have the ability, and I think that's what what a lot of it comes down to, right? You don't have like we talk about people don't have the the ability to be fully themselves, the full spectrum of who they are in their relationships. And part of that is because they have a box of who they believe they are. Mm-hmm. They have a box of expectations that they think they need to fill. And then it's like, well, but you're not getting some of the things that you need. You're not being able to, to fully function as your full self, your full manhood or your full womanhood, whatever that looks like. Exactly. You know? Fullness. Yeah. No, no, I, I I know. I think you nailed it. And I think to me, that's like everything. Like, I think, you know, we talked about this in another episode, but, um, I think it's, it's like, we can really simplify this shit and just talk about like in one word, wholeness or fullness of being like, just being able to express whatever it is, is inside of you. Now, doesn't mean that every moment is equally good to express everything. It doesn't mean you have yep. to be like a garbage can, you know, just like everything. However, like, you know, it's great that you can express that to your wife. Like, hey, you need or want certain different kinds of um, affection. Affection. And that, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I think in this book, like, to me, it's it boils down to like, I think we've already said, but mature versus immature. And to me, coming again from a psychological place, like anything that we deny, anything that we repress, it's just going to come out thwarted and messed up. And so it's all about owning all of you, essentially. And the only way to own all of you is to recognize where you're hiding, 
recognize part of where your, where your fears are, you know, and that's what this book talks about a lot too, is that, you know, I wrote this piece called why we see women as weak, why we see women as weak as men. Mm -hmm. And what I said is we, not everyone, of course, but a lot of men, because we're out of touch with our feminine side, our, all that nurturing and things like that. When we see our, our woman, um, being that way, and I mean, this was me and my past relationship, right? I mean, at some point I was the rock and she was more emotional, right? But after the real, and I thought I was being the man. I thought I was being quote unquote what I should be, right? In that relationship. But then later I realized, you know, I actually wanted to be maybe more emotional. Like I wanted to do that, but I felt like I needed to fulfill a role so that she could fulfill her role and be her natural self. But now I'm kind of like, bullshit, you know? I was putting on an act. I was putting on an act of being the stable one, which allowed me to see her as sort of unstable. It, it allowed me to like make, like I didn't want to be her. I didn't want to be this emotional quote unquote wreck, which I don't think she was, but here's the thing. There are a lot of men out there that are out of touch with their feminine side and how it shows up in their relationships is this way. The more man is disconnected from his own feelings, from his own self, the more I think the woman in that relationship, the further she'll become more emotional because his lack of connection drives her a little crazy. So I actually say in this article in my blog, if you're interested, is, is, is my name, alexobed.com for now. It might change, but uh, you'll find it that way. But what I say is that women are compensating often for men's lack of of connection and they have to go a little bit more overboard and sense and emotional sometimes to shake the man out of his like stoicness because he's so disconnected and she's gotta be like hey motherfucker like this is real like you gotta like i want to communicate my emotion and you're not really sensing it so i have to get even more emotional and so i think it's kind of like a yo-yo effect and when a man however is more in touch she doesn't have to be that way. She cannot, she doesn't have to be so like seem like such an emotional roller coaster because he is connected and he's he's aware and he's listening and he's available emotionally. When a man is unavailable, she ends up having to look like the quote unquote wreck. And so that's where I think we as men don't often understand how we are participating in what we call women's crazy. Mm. That's really interesting. Women's crazy. Now we're causing it. We're not I, just participating. We're will, often causing it. I will kind of yeah. Go ahead. Step back here and go. Well, you know, go back to one of my my original statements. Like I'm not responsible for your emotions, man. You deal with that. You know, like on one hand, that like, and this is this is something that mm -hmm. I, I I do try and reconcile within myself. Yeah. Um, because this is something I do struggle with. This is something where it's like, well, I can't, I can't fix that. I can't fix the emotion. I, all I can do is try and do better with the action. All I can do is try and do this thing over here. But I can't actually fix what you're feeling. I, I, but I think you know? we're. But I think here we're talking about different things because, first of all, you are connected to your wife. You, she already feels that connection. So I'm not talking about you and the type of man that's already done a lot of this work. I'm talking about men who have not done the work 
And so they're very limited in terms of their ability to express and the commun- they're bad communicators, essentially. Mm. And so I'm talking about men that are lacking. I, I actually wrote another piece called Are Men Emotionally Retarded? <laughs> or no, I said actually are men emotionally handicapped is the title. <laughs> um, I think it was an elephant journal um, that I published it too. But, um, but because there's a lot of men that they don't have this capacity. And it's not like – no. He's not, is he, is he responsible? It's not, I don't know that that question is, is relevant. It just, it's just like he's emotionally handicapped. And so a woman's got to, de- if she's in a relationship and living with that man as a relationship, she's got to deal with him and she's trying to create something like a partnership. Well, then his way of being is, a, is significant because it's, it's a partnership. You can't discount fully his emotional handicap. So here's a question for you then. Yeah. What does the fully emotionally available man look like? Bruce Lee, baby. Bruce fucking Lee. No, I'm just, I mean, I don't mean that, but I mean it in some way. No, but I mean like, I would say like, like that quote, like somebody who can, who has the capacity to respond to any situation, sort of like both in some ways naturally, in some ways appropriately, like a combination of both. Like how they want to, but yeah, sometimes maybe how they need to. Like sometimes it's it would not be appropriate, for example, you know, if you were having a bad day and you're in this corporate boardroom, you know, and you're in charge of a business and or a company and maybe a corporate merger or whatever, and like, you know, you cry out for the children that are dying in Mexico in a damn collapse. I'm just making all this shit up. It, it, I'm not saying it would be wholly inappropriate. I'm just saying that like you, it might, I would say it's a balance of emotion, of passion, of it's a balance of everything essentially. And being able to use wisdom to an understanding to, like you said, measure like how you react in the moment. Okay. But sometimes though, I think it's appropriate to just react, like to be emotional. Like there are some situations, like if your child just got run over, like you don't need to be tempered, you know, maybe you don't want, maybe you need to be tempered and not kill somebody, you know, that did it. And, and if it was an innocent thing, but like, you know, you might, you know, just emotion might take you over. And I don't see that being a problem. Hmm. So one of the things that I, I want to touch on is sort of the archetypes of, you know, uh, king, warrior, magician, lover, and starting with boyhood, moving into manhood, because I, I feel like this is going to be sort of a series of conversations, because right now we're just talking, what is manhood, yeah. you know, integration, and obviously we both agree on the idea of if you are to be a full Full in your fullness as a man or as a woman, doesn't matter. You need to be able to integrate all parts of yourself. Now, whether that means you view it as feminine, masculine, whether it means you view it as decisive action versus big picture, whether it means you view it as nurturing versus whatever, doesn't matter. Whatever that looks like for you, contextualize it for yourself. But integration is is key, right? To get to that mature stage. Now, one of the things that the book talks about is the archetypes of the child. And I'll go, 
I'll start with the king because these and these are all direct correlations. So you have the king, the boy's archetype before he becomes the king is the uh, divine child or the divine infant, you know, the little one, the one who harmonizes the world, doesn't understand pain, etc. They harmonize things. They bring things together. And then you have the Oedipal child, which is a direct correlation of, if I remember correctly, um, the lover. And then you have, um, you may need to help me out on this one. I don't know. But you do have the hero and I'm missing one. It's okay. I'm missing one. I know I'm missing one. But We'll, we'll get that in, in a second. And the, the interesting thing about these archetypes is that each one of them has a lot of the mature man in it, but in excess or in deficiencies. Yeah. You know? So, for example, um, the divine child, there, and there's, there's like two different poles of the divine child. You have the little tyrant, <laughs> and then you have the divine child, the, the sweet baby that harmonizes the world, baby Jesus, right? Golden. Golden boy. That's the divine child. Now, the little tyrant. Who's the little tyrant? Little tyrant is- King, little... King, King Joffrey from yes. Game of Thrones. If you've been watching Game of Thrones, I, I unfortunately am not a big Game of Thrones fan. It fell off for me. I'm sorry, guys. But- if you watch Game of Thrones, you know exactly who the little tyrant is. Like Joffrey, like that is a perfect representation of it, man. And Tyrion would be the um, the mature, more mature tyrant. Yes, he was probably a little, little, I was gonna say, little bitch when he was a kid. <laughs> but he he actually was sort of a father figure mm-hmm. to Joffrey and like exactly. slapped the shit out of him when he was being mm-hmm. a little He's bitch. Like, I'm the king. Yeah, and like you're still a child, you know, yeah. like. You, so what if you're the king? Right. You're still my fucking nephew. I, I will treat you like you're my nephew. And actually, like, <laughs> to go on that a little bit, like, how fucking awesome was that? Because, like, honestly, like, what he was doing was trying to help Joffrey. Like, yep. he was like, dude, you're a little boy. And, yeah, you're a king. You're the king. But you're a boy. And I'm here to I'm here to help you grow up. And kind of like even if that means risk risk to me. Mm-hmm. Like, he was taking a lot of personal risk because he was the king. I mean, he, exactly. could, he could do whatever he wanted. But he's like, you're not going to act like that. You exactly. You're not going to act like a boy, boy. And so I'm going to treat you like that. And that's, and that's the, the, the interesting thing, right? Because with all these archetypes, there's, you know, the dark side of things. There's the, the light side of things. There's, mm-hmm. you know, the people who, um, for example, one of my, my favorite uh, examples of going back to like superheroes, you have um, the big three. You have in, in DC Comics, you have Batman. Superman and Wonder Woman. Now, a lot of people will will probably buck buck back against me on this one and give me a little bit of pushback. But one of the things that I love about this, having grown up in the church, is you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Trinity right there in front of you. You have the divine child, or not the divine child. You have you know um, the king. You have the queen, and then you have. They're, they're kind of messed up kid, basically. Is, would that be um, Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, that's, that is one of those things where when you look at our myth, when you look at our comics, when you look at all these stories, you can find these things in places and go, oh, that's interesting. I can see how this connects. So, using the, the, the big three as, as my metaphor, if we look at Superman, Superman is the fullness of 
kingdom. He's the fullness of the king. He doesn't, his kingdom is, is out before him and he simply does and is. And because he does and is, the kingdom forms around him. He doesn't do anything that is going to damage the world. He doesn't do anything that is going to better the world necessarily. And what I mean by better the world necessarily is Superman could stop every single war on the planet if he wanted to. He could stop all the fighting and just go, nah. He has the power to, but his responsibility is not to the entirety of the world. His responsibility in his mind, as we as it's painted out in the DC comics, is to Metropolis City. Metropolis City. That's his little haven. That's his little kingdom. And as such, because he only places himself here, what is what happens? The world around him responds in kind. Meaning, if you go three cities over, everybody knows who Superman is. If you go across the world, everybody knows who's, who Superman is. The king doesn't need to exert his will necessarily. His will simply is. Very interesting. Whereas you have Diana, Wonder Woman, the queen, the, the feminine, but she's also extremely like, yo, I will put you in the dirt. Don't make any mistakes about it. I am not Superman. One of the, one of the most beautiful things about Diana is that she will cut you down. In the very beginning of the comics, or when I say beginning of the comics, I'm, I'm talking like after the golden age, after, you know, when everything was, oh, everybody's got to be a hero, no killing. After that point, Diana's not like that. She's very much, oh, this person's evil, kill him. What? No, we can't do that. Superman has to like stop her multiple times. We cannot do that. Why? He broke the law. The law is this. Why can't I? I, I'm in my right to. That is sort of the almost like the tyrant's sort of mentality, almost. Wait, I didn't know. I didn't know Wonder Woman killed people in the comics. In the comics, in the comics, yes. Well, I, I will say for the record that Linda Carter was my first crush. Hey. <laughs> which I think is kind of cool. I like powerful women. Like you know, hey. I like strong, strong women. Nothing not. wrong with that. Yeah, so that was cool. And then we have our little vigilante. The only man in the Holy Trinity of the DC Comics, Batman. Interesting thing about Bats is he's sort of a coward. And, and that's something that, that a lot of people don't really talk about. Batman is, is sort of a coward. Superman and Wonder Woman don't hide their faces. Batman is the only one of the Holy Trinity that does. Batman is the only one that uses fear. The other two don't. Interesting how that works out. There's the cowardice of the king. There's the tyrant of the king. And then you have the king itself. So it's really interesting how we take a lot of these different ideas and concepts and we utilize them in other, other places. And for me, I always go back and go, well, this is how the psychology works here. This is how you can integrate things here for self, right? Because you have to contextualize things. And I'm a very, very big believer in contextualizing your messages. Whatever you listen to, whatever you read, contextualize it for yourself, right? And that, to me, was one of the like awesome breaking points for understanding 
the archetypes as a whole because I saw it elsewhere. Well, you know, um, I mean, it makes me think of a few different things, but um, I do want to get back to something that I had mentioned because I think like you were vulnerable and shared the little spoon story. So I want to be a little vulnerable too. And this isn't yet on my um, blog. It might be by the time you hear this. So I had this incident where um, I'm going to just share a little bit about my life. I was living in LA. <laughs> I was working at this like sex commune. It was this it was this place where we had a live sexual sex show, which didn't mean that people were having sex, but often they were having sex on Saturday nights. But mostly what I was doing was living in this place where I was the editor social media guy for this sexologist in Hollywood. And um, she's a little too big for her britches, but that's okay. Um, she thought she was the shit. And um, we, our way that our company made money and we lived where we worked in this like sort of old transformed motel that um, we we took over and rented was we had a phone sex therapy hotline. Mm. And so our shifts were four hours a day, six days a week, which they didn't tell me it was six days a week. They kind of lured me in before I knew that. And so I had this way to live in LA though, rent-free because they covered room and board and you worked four hours a day, six days a week, plus the show, which was another three hours. So LA, it's very expensive though. So like having free rent and board was pretty cool. So I could work on other shit. Um, I'm going to have to make this, this is like a long story. I'm going to make short. So anyway, I caved my notice because it was a fucking crazy dysfunctional place as you might imagine. And um, I called my brother and I was like, Hey bro, I just gave my two weeks notice. Yeah. I'm leaving this place. And he knew about the place and it's kind of crazy. And he happened to have had somebody leave his his, his tenant leave for where we're sitting right now, this place where I live. He's like, hey, that's kind of interesting. My tenant just left and my brother's got this business in Fort Lauderdale. He's like, hey, if you want, you can come live at my place and just help me part-time and work on your writing. And of course I said, no, I'm not moving back to Florida. So that was the end of it. Anyways, long story long, uh, a friend of mine basically convinced me like, are you crazy? Your brother's gonna like give you this place to live and you can help him out, but you can really focus on your art, your writing and like give that a go. You're like, you should do that because a lot of people don't have that opportunity. And also she said that, um, you know, maybe that's out of your comfort zone because you're used to being, your comfort zone is being uncomfortable. Why don't you try being comfortable because that's uncomfortable for you, if that hmm. makes any sense. So being comfortable, I'd never been comfortable. I never had a kind of like a, a time in my life where I didn't have to worry about bills, you know, and that's what this, his offer was like, Hey, like, you know, you don't have to worry about bills. You don't have to worry about rents. Just do your thing. Help me out a little bit. So I, I I was driving back from California to Florida. And on the way, I stopped in Atlanta, where I used to live for 10 years. And this buddy of mine, and we were with his 16, no, 17-year-old son. Maybe he was 18. I'd known him since he was like six years old, like his whole life almost. <laughs> and so like we, you know, we had a relationship. I babysat for him for years, you know, once a month with his little younger brother. And I said to my friend what I was doing. Yeah, I was going to come down to Florida to do this. And he's like, oh, so you're going to be your brother's bitch. And I was like, huh? And this was in front of his son. And I was like, no, actually, my brother, his business is expanding down there. He like could use the help because you know he doesn't have any help. And obviously, he trusts me. And he's like, oh, so you're going to be your brother's bitch. And he said that like two more times, so a total of three times. And afterwards, like, and it was, it was kind of emasculating a little bit because – 
it was in front of his son. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so I called him a couple of days later. And I think by this time I'm already in Florida. Maybe I was like, Hey, I just want to let you know, man, that, that really wasn't cool. You know, I think it really set a, set a bad example, what you did in front of your son. And he apologized. He's like, you're right. I apologize. And it wasn't until later though. I realized bullshit. He's not, he's not sorry at all. He was actually doing that to make a point to his son. Like, don't be like this dude. Don't be a bitch. Like, create your own life. Don't depend on anybody else. Because he was an entrepreneur. My friend's an entrepreneur, and he was teaching his son to be an entrepreneur. And I bring this up because I think it's really relevant to this conversation. Because on a lot of levels, both what he was trying to teach his son in that moment and what, and what society tries to tell people like me or men. You know, because for me, you know, I'd always been pretty self-sufficient in a sense. Like I had lived very minimalistically, um, and done a lot of work and kept my, um, kept my bills low so that I could like be very free. Like I valued time freedom over financial freedom. I didn't care about money. Let's just say that I cared about time to be able to do things. Now at some point I did reach a point where you realize that time freedom without money doesn't feel very free, right? You can have all the time in the world, but some of you have, don't have money at all. Like you don't feel free. That's how I felt. So anyways, um, I wrote a piece about it being called my brother, being my brother's bitch or something, because I wanted to explore that. And what I ended up saying is that, you know, because it, it really comes down to what is a man? Like, am I less of a man because I took my brother's invitation to come and have him? Like, I would say that it's not an equal relationship. Like, he's definitely pouring more into me. Um, but m- the end of the um, blog piece I wrote, you know, I think it's the exact opposite because he was doing that to help me become independent. Like he had the means to, um, to you know, and I, I do help him. I work at it, you know, with him, you know, several hours a week to do some stuff for him that maybe not everybody he can't trust to do because it's financial. Um, but like his goal was to help me become independent, not dependent. And, and if I said in the blog that had I just accepted this role and I'm just going to be dependent for the rest of my life. Yeah. Then I would say I would agree with my friend, but that wasn't, that's not the context of this thing. It's no, for me temporarily to accept some help, to accept some support, I would say in order to work on my visions. Um, I don't think is, um, the same thing. I don't think it's anyway. So for me, it challenged me a little bit like my manhood. Um, but that's why I'm like owning it a little bit like, okay, am I my brother's bitch? You know, and some people might say yes, and that's okay. Just like somebody might say, you're the little spoon that that's like less of a man. But I think that's part, and this is what I want to bring this back to the book and say, I think that is setting up a really bad example for what it means to be a man. Because I think what he's saying is to be a man is is self-reliant. And I challenge that. I challenge that. I think that's horseshit. And I think that's Hmm. part of the over-masculinity or toxic masculinity that doesn't have enough balance because it's like, no, now you've got to be afraid to ask for help. You have to afraid to take support for any amount of time because you're not self-reliant. You're not a man. To that point of self-reliance and um, manhood, you know, it's really interesting Mm -hmm. going deeper into the book, going deeper into the archetypes, the king is not an island. Superman has the Justice League. Every king has an army. Every king has advisors. 
At no point in time can you be a king without a kingdom. Yeah. So to be a fully integrated man right. in these archetypes that we're talking yeah. about, to be a king, you need followers. So how can you say that you are a king or a man? And if you're, especially if you're trying to be a fully integrated man, how can you say, oh, I'm this, I am self-reliant. Okay, mm-hmm. sure. But the king still needs help. (laughs) So to that point, I agree with you 100%. I think that is is a – I won't say a bad example. I do believe that there are multiple ways of finding your kingdom and being a Mm -hmm. a quote-unquote, you know, full man in varying degrees. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever that looks like for you, contextualize it for yourself. But to say, oh, you're wrong because of X, Y, and Z. One of the you're best a bitch. Things, yeah, like that to me is wild. Yeah. One of the best things I heard. I, I lived in in Austin, Texas for a while before coming back down to South Florida. And Austin. Austin my, is awesome. Yeah. If if there are any of my friends out there in Austin, I love you guys so dearly. Did you ever do the Thursday night social bike ride? No, I did not. You heard of it though? Yes. Oh, I did. dude, that's so much fun. Anyway, my friend lived there. Barton Springs, Silker Park. Guys, make sure you go out there and check that place out, specifically Square Root Kava. But anyway, um, there is this gentleman by the name of Tyler Magnus. I love this dude to death. When I was in Austin, Texas, one of the things he said to me, I remember this because I literally just left my job. I was living out of my car and he goes, dude, why don't you just come stay with me? I'm like, nah, man, I can't do that. He's like, I'm like, "I I don't accept handouts. That's what I said to him. He goes... A handout? No, this is a hand up. Hmm. I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, my family doesn't believe in handouts, man. We believe in helping people up. So you're down on your luck right now. You don't have what you need, quote unquote. So I'm just helping you out. I'm not handing you anything. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, And that's that's what I hear. In your situation, it was a hand up, right. not a hand up. Well, I mean, I think there's such a, like, I mean, to take it political for a moment, and, and even the book, when it talks about the immature um, man or immature, I don't know if it was the king archetype, I could only think of Trump because, <laughs> you know, it's replete with the suggestions of that, that fit. But, um, you know, I just find that, you know, like my, the, the irony was, you know, and even though, this, this kid was post high school, you mm-hmm. know, my friend, you know, he was living in his dad's house. Like, like his dad was still supporting him in a sense. I don't think he was paying rent. Um, and um, I guess what I'm saying is everybody, I, I just think there's, there's this myth of independence as opposed to interdependence. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, no man's an Island, no person's an Island. There, there's no such thing as a self-made man. That's ridiculous. You know, Trump, for example, you know, self-claimed billionaire, which we're not sure about, right? But the point is he started with like a $5 million hand up, you mm-hmm. know? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But like, then don't say you're a self-made man. Exactly. There's nobody really like, because, and my, my yes, you know, even my dad, he came here as an immigrant with, uh, you know, a hundred bucks in his pocket type thing, right? went far, but like, still he had the Jewish community. He got a job at a restaurant. He probably got better tips because he was coming from Israel, which is war torn. Like everybody for the most part that makes it 
or has some level of success has some level of support somewhere. So I just don't believe in the self, quote unquote, self-made man. Because the purpose of that, the effect of that, and this is why I think what my friend did was such a bad example for his son, because he was sort of... um, he was sort of presenting this example of the self-made man. Like, and again, I just think it's so that's so detrimental because what ends up happening is if you're if you can't live up to that archetype, if you can't become self-reliant, right? Then you start to feel like a failure. And we have a lot of men, especially boys, adults, adolescents that grew up to be men that feel like failures because we're setting the bar and it's not just a regular bar. It's a bullshit bar because we're not taking ownership of the fact that so many people have so many um, steps ahead. Um, they're already ahead of the game when they start. And again, I don't mind that as long as you don't pretend like it's not true, mm. which is what we might call privilege. Like, Don't pretend like you did it on your own when you didn't. Don't pretend that everybody's starting off at the same place when they're not. That's my only thing. Be real with it. And that's where as a culture, I think we need to grow. And I, we've had sort of conversations. Oh yeah. Right? We've had a lot of conversations about where our society is, <laughs> where it possibly will end up. <laughs> because then you have a whole society that's like in politics and shit, especially on the right. And I'm getting political here a little bit where they're, they're like, we're the party of self-reliance. But I'm calling bullshit on that. Where you're 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 partially you're self-reliant, or you have this uh, veneer of self-reliance because you have generational wealth that partially was based on inequality, you know. And so you can't. It's all meshed up and tangled up in a lot of things that aren't fully enumerated as advantages. And if you really took those apart, you know, like you'd have to be more real and more truthful and show where some of those advantages come from. And like, even on a world stage, you know, I have a friend on Facebook, we, we get at it all the time together. And he's like, we, we, we got about it. We got out. We got at it yesterday. Cause he's like, well, you know, would you want to live in one of these countries that's more impoverished? You know, why do, why are you putting down the United States? I was like, well, you got to look at American imperialism. You got to look at the military industrial complex. You got to look at some of those countries are in situations where we had we're partly responsible for their impoverishment. And look at the British Empire and what it did to other countries. And you take out all their wealth and then you call them a poor country. Well, yeah, you you strip them of their of their natural resources. So, but but then I could challenge you in a way because you're like, well, I'm not responsible for your situation. Well, I would say sometimes we are. Okay. Okay. So uh, I'll I'll take I'll I will take the I will take the uh the opposition on this one because I, I do, I do definitely, I do feel like there is a lot of personal responsibility that must come to, in order to be able to, to say that you're coming to the world stage. Um, and when I say the world stage, I'm talking about life. If you're coming to the world stage, you must first take responsibility for who you are, what you are and where you want to go. Otherwise, it's all a lie. It's all fake. Um, but to that point, right? I'll, I'll I'll go back to stoicism because that's 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 from, that's where I am, right? Um, one of the things that I love 
is Epicurus states, you know, uh, and paraphrasing, paraphrasing, he says something along the lines of, you know, man, you can you can chain me up, you can lock me up, but that don't mean nothing to me. You could do whatever you want to me, but this does not diminish me in any way, shape, or form. I think a lot of the self-reliant people, a lot of people who say, you know, self-reliant, self-reliance, I am a self-made man. I think it comes from that space, the space of you are not going to change my goals, my aspirations, my dreams. I will do anything and everything necessary to get to that place. Sometimes even if that means shedding blood, sometimes even if that means I'm going to die behind it. And I think that's where the self-reliance people are standing. It's like, hey, you, you can do just the same thing I'm doing. Granted, they never take into account, hey, you had this, that, this, that. You were not in a place where you heard people getting shot. You weren't in a place where you saw in elementary school, you know, your class went from 50 kids to 40 because 10 of them got shot in, in the past, you know, two, three years. Like you didn't experience that. So of course you, you weren't don't understand. A, you weren't in a food desert. You, yeah, you, you weren't in a food desert. You, had, you, you didn't have access to any kind of nutritional, like real vegetables. Yeah. But I, but I do want to say, I agree with you. Like, and I think, you know, part of the issue is, and it may seem like we're getting off topic, but I actually don't think we are because I think all this fits, but um, it's a, everything's a balance. And I think when one side gets out of balance, the other side gets out of balance even more. And that's where I think our state of our culture is and our country is today politically. For example, and some of it is how the conversations frame. So you, you mentioned self-reliance and personal responsibility. Yes, I agree with personal responsibility to a point. Like it's part of the conversation. It's a big part of the conversation. It's just not the whole picture, right? It's not everything. So, but it's a lot. And I, but I do want to just say mm -hmm. like, but see, the problem is, is the way it's couched is one side, let's say the right right now believes in personal responsibility because they think that the left just wants handouts and that they want um, entitlement programs, right? But, you know, those have to be looked at because some of that's propaganda. Like really is, is Social Security, which people have been paying into for years, an entitlement? No. If you're paying into it, I don't see it as an entitlement, you know, Um but uh, anyway, <laughs> but anyway, I think both the right and the left have to grow up, like to become more mature. To use a word we've used, like yeah, yeah, personal responsibility is is a very important part of the equation, and the left needs to grow up because they need to say, okay, stop, don't be a victim. Yeah, you might have had harder circumstances, and we want to improve those, but also don't be a victim. Exactly. Like be do what do what you can with what you got where you're at. Right. I think um, that was. Um, um, Eleanor Roosevelt said that. Yeah. And um, so that's part of it, right? And that's where the left needs to grow up and mature. On the right, I think they got to be more honest with that whole starting point and like, and look at where there's inequality and where there's systemic inequality and look to change that, look to make it better. I mean, for the, for the, for the whole, but here's, here's the, here's the, the, the argument to that, right? Like, why is that my responsibility? When you why, say my, like, what, like when, in regard, when I say my, I'm just using the, you know, um, the broader my in terms of like the, the rights perspective. Why is my responsibility to my community? Why is my responsibility to people I have, like 200,000 people I don't know, millions of other people I don't know? Well, why you, is well, that? Well, it's not yours, but it's everybody's and it's government's for sure because government is 
you know, of the people, by the people, for the people. It's to create a more perfect union. It's to create, you know, we, we have the Bill of Rights. Like everybody should have access to, I mean, I'm trying to remember the words here, but uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So anything that gets in the way of those things needs to be addressed by our representatives. The problem is, is when, for example, people of color, in my, in my estimation, are, for example, in New York City where they had stop and frisk. You know, where people of color are the ones that are getting stopped all the time by the police, where I've never been stopped for walking around a neighborhood at night or in the day by police, where a lot of my friends that are people of color have. And, you know, yep. all of a sudden then, you know, I'll give you one story, which kind of, you know, kind of illustrated it for me. This dude, he's a Latino dude, Hispanic, whatever. He gets stopped by police for whatever reason. And they notice that he has like herbs like in a, in like a little container in the middle of his car. And the officer says, what's that? And he's like, it's tea. And, and so the officer is like, I think it's drugs. So what I ended up doing is um, arresting him. They did a toxicology report, uh, you know, whatever they, Mm -hmm. they did it. And they did find out that it wasn't herbs, but guess what? He still had to pay for the report. So he didn't have enough money to pay for the report. And therefore, it started this cycle that now he didn't pay. He drove and now either he's suspended or he's got, you know, he's. So basically, my point is he ends up being arrested and now he's got thousands of dollars of fines all because he got stopped in the first place, probably improperly. And then the the officer made a um, uh, guesstimation, a guesstimation of something that was happened to be incorrect. So now he's in the system. He never, if you were probably white, he's never dealing with this crap. And if you look at it, and I don't remember the whole thing. I, I don't think he stopped him for any real reason. Like, I don't think he broke the law. But um, he just got into it in the system, whereas he shouldn't have, it shouldn't have happened in the first place. And I think what a lot of people don't appreciate is just how, like, especially when we're living on the margins, when most people are, less than $500 of emergency money, some people a lot less, like, you can't really afford to get into the system like that on a technicality because it just messes everything up. And when, when you have people of color disproportionately stopped, you know, then you have the likelihood that something's going to happen. Okay. And that's my point. That's where structural – yeah, that's funny that I'm arguing with I you. Mean, I mean, you know where I stand. Like, you personally know where I stand on it. Where I stand on it is a, a combination of, hey, man, like – I can only control what I got, right? So because of that, I'm not going to sit up here and cry about this, that, and the other. I will make I will make it known, yes, these types of things do happen. But on the flip side of it is, it's like, well, I don't say it for the benefit of the person who is... For you. Like, if, yeah, I don't... Like, you're taking personal responsibility for you. Exactly. But, like, you can see how on a, like... Like, that's what I'm saying. Don't play victim. Mm -hmm. That's why I agree with don't play victim. But it's not playing victim, I think, to advocate for the rights of others. That's the distinction I would make. To saying that, hey, there are some racist or sexist um, um, behaviors that are affecting large groups of people and wanting to improve that so that others don't have those disadvantages. I think that's cool. That's all right. And to, and to bring that up, to change that, and to ask that we bring people in the office that are going to address those things, I think is a good thing. I think it's right. I think it's the moral thing. I think that is 
I don't. I, I. I think it is the ethical thing. I won't. I won't use morality. That's fine. I, I'm I, feel, fine. I feel like Whatever. morality is a. That's cool. So you know, gray because you can. Well, I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, the point. right thing. Now, in regards to you know how like how that ties into a the yeah. book, like if we we're going backwards and we we're looking at um, the archetypes, you know, we, we talked about the king a little bit and talked about the warrior a little bit, like the magician and the lover. Yeah, the lover is the person who's in the fullness of their emotion. They're in the fullness of understanding and nurturing. So, to that point of advocating for you know, the dejected and the lost and, and um, disenfranchised. That is a part of being a mature man. Uh. And as it, as it relates to the book, at least, one of the things that they talk about is like, hey, like, the king, if you, if you, to, this is a progression, right? Like, each archetype eventually leads you to kingdom, kinghood. So, to get to the king, like you don't want a tyrant king, you don't want a coward king. If you have either of those, you're gonna have a bad time. Well, it's like your buddy in Austin, right? Like he was exhibiting to me the king archetype, exactly. where he was like, he's not diminishing you, he's not putting you down. Mm -hmm. He's saying, look, I can help right now. Yeah. You could use some help. Hey, man, like you're a fellow brother, you're a fellow human being. I'm gonna do what I can to help. I got a resource that I'm not using. Exactly, it's not a big deal. Exactly, in much the same way, like. I had this conversation with a with a a good friend of mine, and um, she was asking me about the the issues in Venezuela. And we we've gotten really like serious over the past like couple minutes, but that's neither here nor there. She was asking me about Venezuela and how I felt about the United States, you know, intervening. I said I don't feel like we should. Like I personally do not feel that way. And you know, I was like because I believe in person. And she she's like bullshit. She called me on my shit. I love this about my. So what did, how did yeah? What did you what did she you say that? Made so I was like, it? no, I feel like you know, in order to to for like, it makes no sense for us to go down there because they need to do it for themselves. This that any the other. She's like, yeah, but they can't. They got this and that. I'm like, yeah, but da -da -da. she's like, I'm like, I'm only coming from my place of understanding of taking personal responsibility for self, right? It makes no sense for another country to try to impose on another on someone else's country's politics, in my opinion. But she goes, bullshit. That's not who you are. I know that's not who you are. You care too much about people. So how can you say that? I'm like, ah. <clears throat> yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, if I'm going to try, if I'm going to be in the fullness of who I am, if I'm going to be in the fullness of these archetypes, in the fullness of my kinghood, then I do need to find an answer to that question. Right. But I think what's, what's important too in the distinction is there are many ways to intervene, exactly. like doing it like covertly and sort of like um, leading a coup anonymously. Well, that's one way, but it, but you could also offer help. You could say, hey, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what what kind of hand up do you need right now? Yeah. Like, how can we support your country mm -hmm. to like move forward and get out of this mess? Yep. Like, so that to me is different. Like, so like discretion. when someone say, yeah, discretion, when some people say, well, we shouldn't be down there doing it. Like, no, like, let's look at it. Let's look at it with, with discernment. Mm -hmm. What is, what's going on? You know, what resources do we have? Because here's the deal. And this is where like, you know, I think, it comes down to what we learned as kids, like the web of life. You can't do one thing to the web without doing it to yeah. the web, right? Yeah. If if we don't care about Venezuela now or any place, we're as a global community, 
You don't think they're going to come knocking on our door and walking to our borders, which is what's happening now, right? So it's like you're going to deal with the problem one way or the other. You can't mm-hmm. just build walls around everything. Mm-hmm. You can't build walls in, as a country. You can't build walls as a person. You can't build walls as a rich person and have hyper, hyper rich people who are completely like, not my problem if like the the income inequality gets so great in this country that you know people are starving on the streets. Like eventually your wall can't be big enough. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like building walls isn't the answer. And uh, so, yeah. So in Venezuela, my point is, is like the web of life. Like you, you, you can only ignore a problem. It's like ignoring your leg. You got a wound in your leg. Eh, that's not my like heart. It's not my head. I'm feeling pretty good. Most 95%, 98% of my body feels good. I'm going to stop worrying about my leg. Right. Or it's that idea of one of my favorite cartoons is the, um, the boat. And it's like, there's a hole in a boat and, uh, it's like on the other side of the boat though. So the, so the one guy on the other side is like, not my problem. It's not my side of the boat. Yep. We're all in the same boat. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we're all on this planet. If we screw up the climate, if we screw up the oceans and all of a sudden every fish has got plastic digested in it because we're putting so much plastic in the ocean. Now, if you eat seafood, you're going to get you're going to be in to, you know, um, ingesting a lot of plastic, which is really, really bad for you. Like eventually it's all going to come around. So, you you know, you can try to like be isolationist, but when the world gets smaller and smaller as it is, it's not going to work. Hmm. So my main point is just personal responsibility and responsibility isn't just a personal thing. It it's you got to be simultaneously, you know, responsible for yourself, but also looking at the whole. Like, what does a king do? They're responsible for the kingdom, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, I think all of us should have that king and queen mentality, where you know, because the mother, the mother queen, right, archetype, the, the mother archetype doesn't just care about her baby, no. cares about life and babies and life itself and nurturing, like, you know, if a baby's suffering next door, like you got to feel that in your heartstrings, right? It's part of your web. And if we ignore that baby now and say, nope, I'm only responsible for my baby. I'm only responsible for my so-and-so. You don't think that that baby growing up in a dysfunctional environment, it's going to end up affecting you at some point down the road? Well, this is, this is the, this is the, the crux, the crux, the 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 issue that I have with with like this is the, the place where I, I bump heads with you know myself a lot. Mm. Um, it's a good way of saying it. Not so much the world because eh, I can give two rats asses, right? And and this is the funny thing, like I say this very very openly and very very bluntly, like yo, I don't care, bro. Like I I just don't. I don't care about a lot. I can't. I don't have the energy to. I don't have the time to. But but if but let's pretend I want to stop you and challenge you. If let's say you're independently wealthy, mm-hmm. you got all your needs taken care of. Okay. You don't have to worry about any bills. You got everything taken care of. It's all coming in. Do you my think community that, would be my community would be the next thing I'm focusing on? Right. Right. Now. But that's my point. That's but you're, that's, you're where, I'm, that's with, where I'm going. And, and your my point. I, just, I know. I'm sorry. I'm going to be a jerk here and interrupt. But my point is that it's. 
circumstances and it's circumstantial right now you're in a position you're 26 or whatever you, you got a kid on the way you get a wife you know you got things that you got to take care of because you got to handle it's like put the mask on yourself before you put it on your kid exactly. that's what you're doing but like once we have that handled you're going to expand your circle outward and you're going to have your kingdom is going to mm-hmm. increase from your family kingdom mm-hmm. to a bigger kingdom right yes that, that's the hope right that's the hope but i can't ever get to that place if I don't put my mask on first. I love that analogy. I, I'll go back to my, my military training for, for a second. One of the things that is like super almost, it's like really, really wild to me sometimes when I really think about it. But when I say literally every person that came onto the boat that I was on went through for that like first month to two, almost three month span, the exact same experience recreated every single time. You were a new person on board, it was the same exact experience. I think part of the reason, or not even part of the reason, I know, right? Indoctrination is a thing break you down to build you up. That's a thing. But we don't talk about, a lot of people talk about boot camp. They don't talk about what happens when you get in the fleet where, yo, you just got on a boat. You have to do all the drawings for the fire system. You have to do all the drawings for the water main. You have to do all the drawings for the sewage. You got to do drawings for electricity, AFF. Like you got to do drawings. And when I say drawings, I'm talking about knowing where the cutoff points are for certain um, water mains and certain um, f- things for oil spills. You have to know all that everywhere in the boat. You have to know how to get out of your birthing. You had to blindfold it backwards in case the boat capsizes and all the lights are out. You needed to know these things and every single person went through the exact same thing. So I get on board, I'm only an E2, E3 at the time, and the captain, who's been in 20 years, just comes on board. We just have a a change of command. I'm doing the exact same drawings he's doing. Experience, I believe, is a very, very, very powerful way of connecting people and getting people to that stage of, oh, we on the same boat. Because my experience is completely different from a lot of people's experience, especially in my community. Knowing that I grew up in Miami Gardens and I went to, quote unquote, one of the best schools in all of South Florida, like Mast Academy was a a huge thing in my community. People are like, oh, wait, you go to that school? Oh, man. (sighs) To me, it's like, okay, whatever. But in hindsight, I realized, oh, that took me out of an experience that I no longer have, that I I can't connect with now. I can't understand it. So because I can't understand it, it's going to be a completely different monster when I come home and I'm like, oh, well, I talk like this and I act like that. Like people look at me a little funny and a little weird. Now, is that a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. It's just different. Mm-hmm. My dad, my my dad got, got me saying that one. Right, wrong, indifferent, don't matter. Like, right, wrong, indifferent, it's just different. That is 
one of the things that is hard for people to understand. Like I went through experiences that allow me to see, oh, I had the same experience as this person and that person, this person and that person. Whether I like this person or not, doesn't matter. We on the same boat. <laughs> Versus, hey, we're I'm I'm a black kid from Miami Gardens, Florida, and I know how to scuba dive. Like when you put that into perspective, I know most of my peers. They have no idea how to scuba dive. They've never been snorkeling a day in their life. It's not a bad thing. It's just different. So that personal responsibility piece for me is very much, well, I can't, I can't force everybody in the United States or everybody in Miami or everybody in Fort Lauderdale to have the same experience. Mm -hmm. So if you take responsibility for you first, I take responsibility for me. My wife takes responsibility for herself and we do this. And each person makes an effort of doing that first. Then eventually we're all going to be kings. We're all going to be queens. We're all going to be able to say, oh, I'm okay. And I have enough. I have enough abundance to give to the next person, to help the next person, to be able to say, oh, here's a hand up, not a hand out. I mean, to me, it's a little overly simplistic because I don't, I just don't know. Uh, you know, it, I don't know if that's if that's realistic or if that's true. I mean, I think it's a good thing. Yes, take personal responsibility, no doubt, absolutely. You know, um, but I think like you know what we have like six people that have the combined wealth of the bottom fifty percent of the population. That, to me, that's a problem. It, it's showing our values are not in alignment. You know, you have the rich not even paying taxes. You know, you've got, mm. you know, these billionaires not paying taxes and not putting in the back in the system that they benefited from. That's a problem. Like we've got Houston, you got a problem. We got a problem. You know, it shouldn't be, um, yeah, people should have the ability to make more wealth and like, you know, work harder, but you know what you, you know, to me, things like, I think we should have free internet for everybody. I think like mm. literally because it benefits everybody it, because it, you know, just like health insurance, okay. you should have free health care for everybody because it's in a look. What did they do back in the day? You have a small town. The whole town would pitch in when somebody got really sick because we know that you can't take care of it. Right. And so now we don't live in we don't live that way anymore. We don't live in rural areas. Most of America is in cities, you know, 50 percent, whatever, however many people it is. So, like, we don't have that option. We don't know our neighbors. So it makes sense that instead of devastating people's whole lives and families, you know, if somebody gets sick in a weird way or whatever, which also is a lot of stress having to worry about that thing and having people have jobs literally just for health insurance, mm -hmm. I think it makes sense. No, it's in the best interest of the whole ship that everybody knows that they're taken care of health-wise if something happens. It's in our interest it's in like our best interest, which means we're going to grow more as an economy. If you don't have everybody, half the country worried that something might happen and they can't afford to do, you know, that they're going to have to drop their, you know, their spouse is going to have to drop out. Everything's going to have to shift or they're going to have to die because they can't pay for insulin. So it's a little bit of an oversimplification because I know there's other concerns there, but I just think there are some things that make sense collectively to offer so that everybody has a better starting place. Hmm. Now, 
Well, I, 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 I want to begin wrapping this up and, yeah. and begin with a, a question for you. All right. Give me an example that isn't that isn't a a, a large scale one, right? Like mm-hmm. we're not talking United States. We're talking uh, we're talking just just South Florida, Fort Lauderdale, right? What is something that you would want to see in that regard? Like what what's, what type oh, of change? Yeah, I, I like got what, it. Kind, yeah. what kind of change would you want to see? Well, yeah, that's part of the collection. Something very simple because I. I befriended a few homeless people here a little bit. And um, I think we should have like showers for homeless people, like stations where mm-hmm. they can get a shower. Um, and I don't mean the homeless shelter exact because that's got some issues, mm-hmm. major issues. Oh, yeah. Um, violence, rape, you know, all kinds of stuff, drugs. But like, I mean, like just like maybe a, a moving um, system where at least you can get a shower and clean up and maybe get some fresh clothes. You know, um, that's just one small example, but I think that that's like a human thing. Like it's just a, it's like a taking care of each other thing. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. Wouldn't be necessarily that hard, you know, just get people access to a shower and a a bathroom, you know, Mm -hmm. for example, just one example. Okay. Something really really small. How about you? Well, I mean, that sounds small, but I think it's, it's, it's for those people. It's a, it's a major deal. Mm -hmm. So something in, in Fort Lauderdale that that I would want to see that would help the collective. I, I'm actually gonna put the. I'm, I, you can only you can only you know understand from your level of, of perception. Um, so I'm gonna I'm only gonna be able to speak from from this space. And what I would love to see is more people advocating for what they believe in. And what I mean by that is actually get active in your fucking community. (laughs) Like you want to do something, you want to see change, actually be the change. So if you know that there's a homeless shelter nearby and you're like, oh, there are homeless people on the street that need food and water, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Then why aren't you at the homeless shelter feeding the homeless, you know, or um, like my thing, like I believe in art. I believe that there are people that need platforms that need to, to, to express themselves and be fully authentic, which is part of the reason why we, I, I'm very much excited that I got to do this podcast with you is, Hey, like we, we're not, we're not trying to change each other. We're not trying to like, no, I'm fully authentically myself. You're fully authentically you. And we allow that. We allow each other to be ourselves. Um, another one that I'm very big on is, Hey, like, yo, like there needs to be part of the reason why I want to discuss this, this, uh, book King warrior magician lover more in depth is there needs to be specifically in my community Mm -hmm. access to other types of masculinity and ways of integration to stop the the angry black boy to to yeah. to to to, to kind of quell and make it known hey you're not by yourself this is a male thing it's okay that you feel it's okay that you're going yeah. through this it's okay that you've had trauma it's okay doesn't mean that you can't be this doesn't mean you can't be that 
other examples of that, which is part of the reason why I wanted to discuss the book and part of the reason why, you know, this podcast is so important. Yeah. You, you know, it's like, hey, be the change. It sounds like you should be public speaking in high schools then, buddy. <laughs> what you, no, I'm going to put it right back on you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Be the, I, be I, the change. I, I, I do not want to be in public high schools. Okay. I believe that. Um, Wherever. I'm just saying. I believe that for me, I believe that um, the earlier you get kids, the better. Yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. know, I know what you're saying. But um, I mean, whatever. Elementary, middle school, yeah, whatever like, you think. Somewhere around there, man. And I mean, I'm having a little one of my own. I know. but when- So for me, it's like, hey, I got I to gotta start there first. And part of that starting there first is, well, if I want to be an example to my son, mm-hmm. then what kind of man should I be for myself? Right. And then from that point, going back to putting your mask on first and again, contextualize anything and everything that I say and that, you know, we say, because I'm a very strong believer in the idea, Hey, like what works for me doesn't always work for everybody else, you know, Mm. and vice versa. So for me, I start in, in the body, in my body, like, all right, this is where I am. This is who I am. Start here. All right. I know that I affect my child. And eventually, once they get to a certain age, they're going to have to be around other kids. They're going to have to be around other other people. From that point, I want to be able to say, okay, I now I'm able to affect this kid, that kid, this kid, that kid. So I agree 100%, man. Cool, man. Well, what did you get out of this um, this conversation? Like, What's something you're taking away from this today? Integration. Integration is key. From all aspects, um, kind of going back to one of the conversations I had earlier this week with uh, my lawyer friend, you know, he said something to me that that really stopped me in my tracks. He's ex-Navy. I'm ex-Coast Guard. I told him a story about one of my experiences with the Coast Guard and why I feel certain ways I do about our country. And he goes, wait, 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 wait. There are things you do not know. Knowing that you're, you only got out at E3 level, you didn't have a top secret clearance. So because you didn't have a top secret clearance, you don't know certain information. Until you have all the facts, do not make an opinion. And it stopped me. It really, really forced me to look at what I had been saying for roughly about the past five years of my life and going, oh, huh. So being challenged, being um, and being okay with being challenged and not taking it personally, you know, so that integration of what you don't know. And what you do know. So let me interrupt you because I posted this on Instagram today. I don't know if you saw this. Yes, I did. Maturity, wisdom, uncertainty. So can you you explain what this is? So basically, the more you mature, the more uncertain you become, but the wiser you become because you're uncertain. Well, I I would add though, not just uncertain, it's that you hold what you... What your you your views you know, yeah. and what you think you know less strongly. Oh, yeah. You're not like, this is the truth. This is the only truth. This is the only path. You mm-hmm. become more like, okay, you know, I don't know it all. Yeah. This is what I do know. 
but there's a lot that I don't know. Exactly. Right. Cause like wisdom is, you know, whatever, as you're not, as your was it the circle of your knowledge increases, the circumference of your, inter, your ignorance increases mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. You know, the more, you know, the more you realize that you don't you know. know. Yep. Right. So, th- so this is actually, it's on my Instagram. It's a, uh, it's from, um, the naked pastor. N-A-K-E-D pastor at Naked Pastor. He puts really cool cartoons and stuff up. So I really, uh, I uh, think everybody should go check him out, the Naked Pastor. But it's like, hey, you know, let's, and that's part of what I think is going on. Like uh, too many people know, think that they have it all. They know it all. They're clenching their fists like this is it. Mm -hmm. And I'm right and you're wrong. As opposed to like you've been saying, contextualize. And, you know, like everything needs to be contextualized, you know. And and that's where I think we're going to find a place of sort of, getting along hmm interesting because we don't have that right now i don't know if i want to get along with everybody though man well it's not a, <laughs> yeah but you don't you don't want to live in a world where you got two groups that completely aren't getting along either true civil right civil war you know, you, you know some one of my friends uh told me um he doesn't think we're a very civilized society of course not i was like huh huh made me think made me think made me stop and I, 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 I try to surround myself, and I think this is one of the the things that I would I would like implore and really invite our listeners to do: surround yourself with more people who don't believe the things you believe. Yeah. Like really, really, and don't don't attack them for it. Don't like you can have your emotion, you can be upset about it, you can you know argue it out, but just because you're arguing doesn't mean that. That is a bad person. Doesn't mean that your views can't somehow ha- find some middle ground. Um, and over the course of like the past year, I've had a lot of that. Mm-hmm. A lot of just, mm, I'm, I'm not really jiving with this person's point of view at all. But you know what? It got some nuggets for me. Because it got some some golden nuggets of wisdom, knowledge, whatever, different point of view, an angle that I didn't expect. I'm like, all right, cool. I still don't agree with it. I still read like a spy. I still am very much, hey, I stand on what I stand on. Like, hey, like, yeah, if you can, if you can, if you can get me to step off of whatever I'm standing on or whatever stance I take, then I think you you you've done your job as a person. And I don't think it's anybody's job to change my mind or vice versa, but I do believe that in the way we live, it is necessary to never apologize for what you do. And I do believe that it is necessary to live in such a way that it has impact. So what I mean by that is if you get me to change my viewpoint on something or you get me to kind of pause and and reflect on something, I believe that you are living your life in such a way that you have impact. You have something that is that is important that you continue must continually live for. But I don't I, I don't agree with you about the never apologize because or say you're sorry because if I do something that I'm unconscious of that I really wasn't thinking that had a negative impact on somebody else. Like I was totally inconsiderate, but not even realizing it. I'm going to apologize for it because I wasn't being aware of what I was doing. And I wasn't aware of the impact that it might have on somebody else. Mm, that's like me. That's like uh, I, I, I use the – for that argument, I go, well, am I intimidating or are you intimidated? No, it's not. But that's you not – like in, in much the same way, was I being I'm just saying like let's say, you or... work, let's say you work at the coffee shop right mm-hmm. now and you got a hot glass of water in your hand and you – 
um, are really um, what am I the word I'm trying like you you just you just do something stupid really like you just like run around the corner not expecting somebody to be there and they're there and now you've poured hot water all over them that's an accident right like I what I mean, you, you what, would, I mean what I mean by never apologize for what you do or what you say is if you're consciously that's like, what, I mean, that's, what right, I'm, that's okay, where I'm that's getting like I'm saying I'm, I'm talking specifically from the level of hey dude, this is who I am I once worked I at a restaurant I worked at restaurants most of my life growing up but I was working with this guy. We called it, we were hobos because we had the dishwasher was called a hobo. <laughs> Whoa. And I, like a fork or something was stuck in there. So I lift up the thing to get the fork. He thinks it's turned on and the water, the hot water is going to get me when it was turned off. So he turned it on while I was inside Eesh. and I had like 180 degree hot water, like Eesh. just, and I, of course I leaped out, but like he was sorry, of course. And he said, and he even invited it. He was like, you could turn it on on me, like just to show like how, you know, whatever. And of course I'm like, no, but like, you know, it sucked ass. But I mean, like, I'm just saying, like we do stupid shit sometimes. Everybody does stupid shit and you should take responsibility to use that word, personal responsibility for when you do stupid shit. That's different, I think. Okay. I, th- I think that's So we're making th- a distinction. I think that's, I think that I do believe that is very, very different from, from, hey, this is who I am. This is what I stand on. All right. Kind of I get thing. it. I'm just for the eyes. So <laughs> to make a distinction between whether you're consciously doing something yes. when you're yes. being a fool. Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Cool. Well, cool, man. Well, I enjoyed the conversation, man. This As is, always. This is good. I, I do want to dive into, on, on probably the next couple episodes, a little bit more deeply, the archetypes. Because mm-hmm. I think we hit a, a broad spectrum of things. Yeah. But I definitely want to dive a, a little bit more into it because- like, you know, the difference between a hero and a warrior, the divine child and the king, the tyrant, the coward's king, all those types of things. I believe having that as a tool bag of, mm-hmm. of reference points for, for yourself can be really, really helpful. And it's not to say it's the only way, you yeah. know, like we, like we always come back to, you know, contextualize. Yeah. But slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. We'll see you guys on the next one.